Coming up on golf today, world number one Lydia Ko is in Houston looking for her third major in the last piece of the LPGA Hall of Fame puzzle. Can she scale one last mountain at the club at Carlton Woods? And Bam Bam, Brittany Lincecum joins the show, twice a winner at the Chevron with the help of two Eagles. Will her prodigious length be an advantage this week? And two more sons of Southern California join the program, Cantlay and Shoffley. Shoffley and Cantlay, can they go back-to-back -back in NOLA? Pass the beignets. It's golf today. Golf today. Big week in golf as the LPGA Tour heads to Texas for the first major of 2023. The Chevron Championship moves to a new venue this year, the club at Carlton Woods, while the PGA Tour in the Big Easy for a fun team event, the Zurich Classic of New Orleans at TPC Louisiana. This is Golf Today on a Wednesday. Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch, Golf Week Magazine. I'm calling this major the blank slate major. We don't know. What to expect? Coming off the Masters, we knew the shots. Tiger, Jack, Jordan, Spieth through the years. Ben Crenshaw, even Mission Hills. We knew Brittany Linscom and those Eagles. We don't really know what to expect with the club at Carlton Woods. In any respect, because we don't even know who's coming in hot anymore. Mm. We talked a lot yesterday about the, the LPGA schedules kind of been hopscotching around the globe with long breaks in there as well. No one's had a chance really to build momentum. There's no mo heading into Houston at all. And it really feels as though the season's getting underway. Just feels kind of odd that it's getting underway with one of the biggest tournaments of the year. I agree. A bit of a herky-jerky start to the LPGA schedule. But hearing about the rain in Texas, I tell you what, I'm starting to think about a long hitter. I'm thinking about Cupcho. I'm thinking about Lexi. I'm thinking about UCLA's own Patty Tavitanikin. I'm thinking about players who can move it and carry it, especially if the grounds are a little bit soft. Cupcho hasn't had a top 10 since a win last summer. Lexi can't put under pressure. Okay, well, Nelly Corda is is the one I think. Nelly's not going to have a problem in Houston. There's your headline. For next uh, I like that. No how problem. about Judy Rankin saying, you know, how about getting both Cordas together, hot on the same weekend? Can you imagine if we've got these two, you know, daughters of professional athletic royalty uh, chasing major championship glory in Texas? That would bring a lot of eyeballs the television set. It really would. And, you know, we're desperate for a rivalry in yeah. this game, so why not let it be the Cordes sisters right here? Love to see it happen. We really would. Well, this week marks the first major of 2023 on the LPGA Tour. It's the Chevron Championship. Makes its Texas debut for the very first time after leaving Mission Hills. You can catch live first-round coverage Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on Golf Channel. And here's what you need to know about the Chevron Championship. It's been played at the Club of Carton Woods in the Woodlands, Texas, for the first time after a half-century run at Mission Hills. $5.1 million purse, 132 players in the field, and the defending champion, Jennifer Cupcho. Eamon, we got some great tea times. This week, got Lydia joining Lexi Thompson and Charlie Hull. 9.21 a.m. Eastern Time off the 10th tee. But the defending champ, Jennifer Cupcho, in the afternoon alongside the UCLA Bruin, Patty Tavitanikit, who won the Chevron back in 2021, and Jin Young Ko, who won the Chevron in 2019. By the way, Jin Young Ko will join us in the next hour. Now, back in 2016, Lydia Ko was world number one then as well. She took home the title in the Chevron. It was her second major, became the youngest player in the history of the LPGA Tour with two majors and the youngest two-time major winner, male or female, since young Tom Morris back in 1869. I tell you what, her bio, 
features a ton of hardware, 19 wins, including three last season. She has a couple of majors, twice player of the year, thrice winner of the race to the CME Globe, silver medal, bronze medal. It has been a very special career. And for more on the first major championship on the LPGA Tour, let's say good afternoon to Amy Rogers. Hey, Amy. Hey there, Damon. Well, having a chance to win a major is in and of itself an incredible opportunity. But for Lydia Ko coming here this weekend, should she win, she would not only capture her third major, major title, but she would also earn the last two points that she needs to qualify for the LPGA Tour Hall of Fame. Ko picked up three points at the season-ending Group Tour Championship, the CME Group Tour Championship in Naples. She got a point for that win. She also got a point for earning the Rolex Player of the Year and another point for taking home the Vertro for the lowest scoring average of the season. So Ko comes in to this event with 25 points. She just needs 27 points in order to qualify. So if she were to get a win here, as I mentioned, she would get those final two points she needs. But Ko says it's something she's not even going to be thinking about this weekend. Honestly, I just want to, you know, have a good week this week. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame and everything, yeah, I'm two points away, but, like, and I'm like one tournament away technically uh, to being able to do that, but I could also be like, who knows? Um, I, it is definitely a big goal of mine to be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't think that's like my end goal or something that uh, I'm just going to keep chasing towards because I'm just trying to play the best golf I can. And if I put myself in contention um, and just get, keep giving myself opportunities, I feel like they're all going to come naturally. Um, just... You know, I'm sure as much as I want it, the rest of the 131 other players also want the win as much as I do. So it's like even though people, like, there might be like different things at stake for each player, um, I think it's meaning for every single one of them in their own different ways. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it'd be pretty cool to get it done in the first major of the year and, you know, be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but, you know, that's not what's like important to me um for me is i just want to have a good week and put myself in position and if i have a chance at it and be the one that's holding the trophy at the end of the week that's it's pretty awesome um but i don't think that's going to be like my driving force going to any of these events this year now, if Ko were to win the Chevron Championship here on Sunday, it would be the second time that she's won this major, having also won back in 2016. And as I mentioned, that win would earn her those final two points that she would get for winning a major and get her into the LPGA Tour Hall of Fame. And in doing so, would become the youngest player ever to qualify at the age of 25. NB Park currently holds the record at the age of 27. She qualified back in 2016. Guys? Amy Rogers setting up the week, a big week in Houston, Texas. I tell you what, I feel like we're toward the end for Lydia Ko, not the beginning, even at 25. I think this last, you, think you know, this mountain... the retirement? I think it would. Uh, she's married. She's been on the stage for so long. I just think it's a, if it's a Vair and a LPGA win or if it's a major championship, which is the two points that she needs, I just don't feel that she is going to be around that much at 25, longer. 25, you think it's She told close? us 28 the number. I think we should enjoy the, the show. Used to be 30 at one point in and it's her mind creeping as well. down toward the, the mid-20s and late-20s. And listen, I, I want her around. I think she's wonderful to watch. I think her short game is one of the best I've ever seen. Gosh, she's, she's had a lot of turbulence young. 
you know, changing coaches, changing equipment, changing caddies, and now things have settled. Do you think she'd already be in the Hall of Fame if she hadn't made all those coaching changes or all the caddy changes over the years? Probably. I mean, we ask the same questions of Tiger. You know, would he have 25 majors instead of yeah. 15 majors? Would he be in a different spot than he would be now? I just feel like this is a player who doesn't need to play into her 30s. She's already told us that she probably doesn't want to do that. She seems very happy off the golf course. When you're you know, a professional in, as a teenager, and you're winning on the LPGA at 14 and 15, winning back-to-back, -back, you know, Canadian Women's Opens as she did. I just wonder, you know, will the flame burn as, as brightly, uh, the fuel in the tank to, to continue to hit balls endlessly when you're in your 30s? I don't see it for her, personally. Well, the mere fact that she's even in the conversation this early in life for the LPGA Tours Hall of Fame as distinct from the World Golf Hall of Fame it's quite an accomplishment because yeah. it really is an extraordinarily difficult hall to get into. The requirements used to be 40 wins without a major, 35 with one major, and 30 with two majors. And then in 1999, they were revised down. And over the next 20 years, only four players actually qualified for that. Toughest holiday, hall to get into. Which was Annika, Carrie Webb, Sayree Pack, and Inby Park. And to me, a Hall of Fame that doesn't have Laura Davies in it it has a significant credibility mm. problem. Laura Davies has 20 wins on the LPGA Tour, including four majors, and she's not in the Hall of Fame. And I get that they have their... It's strictly a points-based system. There's no flexibility on that. 27 points required to get in. Laura Davies currently sits on 25 points. She's 59 years old. She's still out there playing in the hopes that she can get that last notch on the belt to get into the Hall of Fame. But to me, it's... It needs more updating as well. They updated it a couple of years ago. Lorena Ochoa had, by miles, passed the requirements to get into the LPGA Tours Hall of Fame, was not in the Hall of Fame until the requirement was dropped that you had to have played at least 10 years on the tour because Lorena retired after seven or eight years on tour and didn't meet that requirement. Right. So it's the flexibility or inflexibility of these requirements, to me, really diminishes the credibility of the Hall of Fame. You've got to be able to celebrate your stars, and too many of them are left on the outside looking in. On it this. is inflexible. It's a points system. I think you can't write the history of the game without Laura Davies. When you consider who, who she's, she's won beaten. She's more than 80 tournaments around she the world. She beat Big Mama. She's beaten. They look at her runner-ups to her. Nancy Lopez, Pat Bradley, Pat Hurst, Kari Webb. She's been runner-up in Daniel, her 50s on the LPGA Meg Mallon. Tour. I mean, she beat everybody. Kari Webb has finished runner-up. To Laura Davis. She's one of those game changers to me. She's one of those stars. 12 Solheim Cup teams in a row. Yeah. And the, the mere fact that she is on the outside of the LPGA Tours Hall of Fame, to me, really just diminishes the credibility of that hall period. And we have these arguments with every Hall of Fame. You have it yeah. with the World Golf Hall of Fame that, you know, Weisskopf couldn't get in until he died. Right. Peggy Kirk Bell couldn't get in until after she died. There's always going to be an argument over the Hall of Fame, but wrongs ought to be righted with the Hall of Fame, and you can write it now in Laurie Davies. Just case. be careful, though. Don't go too far the other way where you let everybody in. I think the Hall of Fame still has to be sacrosanct. It has to be small. It has to be special. But I think Laura Davies, yeah. with her career, fits that bill. But I don't want the very good in. I, no. I want the best of but the but best. You're, you're not lowering the bar that low to get Laura Davies in. I agree. I agree very, very much. Well, we'll continue this discussion at some point down the road. Coming up next, we've got Team Shoffley and Cantlay. Yes, they're about to join us. We're going to try to go back-to-back -back down in NOLA. Can they focus enough, stay away from all that gumbo, make those birdies?
the TPC Louisiana. We'll ask him next. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Back on golf today, how about 2009 Mission Hills? Brittany Lincecum, a.k.a. Bam Bam, fired a final round 369. How about this clutch grip hybrid for the 72nd hole, setting up an eagle to win the Chevron Championship. Used the slope to perfection. Her third win on the LPGA Tour, first major title. I mean, this is the definition of clutch. Look at that smile. You had... Christy Kerr and Christy McPherson in the mix in 2015. Same golf course, second major title. This time it was a five iron, I want to say. Setting up another eagle on the 72nd hole. Got her into a playoff with Stacy Lewis. Ended up beating Stacy with a par. Take another leap into Poppy's Pond. Yeah, you could say that that property, she had part ownership of. Turned pro back in 04 at the age of 19. Eight LPGA victories, couple of majors, six-time member of the United States Solheim Cup team. and played with the PGA Tour's Barbasol as well. And Bam Bam joins us on this Wednesday. It's great to see you. Only a couple starts for you in 2023. What's been the focus of your work as you prepare for this major championship? Yeah, just trying to balance everything. Obviously, two kids now, and uh, they're both out this week. They were both out in Phoenix, so it's great having them out. But just learning how to balance, you know, motherhood of two and, uh, you know, trying to do time management of, of practicing enough and then, you know, taking them to do fun stuff. And uh, it's definitely a, a different situation, but uh, we're going to figure it out as we go. <laughs> Brittany, you played an Epson Tour event uh, last month as part of the return from maternity leave to try to sharpen your game. Has it been any different coming back from having your second child than it was coming back from the first? Not that I've noticed so far. Just, um, 
you know, I, I took maternity leave last June, so I didn't play from June until January, basically. So it's just kind of knocking off the rust. And more thing, more importantly, it's just more mental. Um, you know, you would think after this is my 19th season, you think I'd be a veteran and, and wouldn't get nervous or wouldn't have these things going through my mind. But, you know, it's the same as, you know, a, a viewer watching us play on TV. You know, when they go out and play, like I get equally as nervous as they do, even after 19 seasons. So um, just learning how to kind of channel that and take it all in and embrace it and uh, just go out and hit the shots that I know how to hit. Well, some of those shots you know how to hit made some history at Mission Hills over the years. You won twice there. You were also <laughs> a runner-up on that golf course. How much did it pain you to learn that the major championship was moving to Texas? Yeah, definitely. I have so many wonderful memories there, obviously winning twice and jumping in Poppy's Pond. But, you know, we're starting new traditions. You know, Chevron is elevating women's golf and just everything they've done. It's only Wednesday and just the things that they have done uh, already this week are pretty incredible. You know, giving past champions a Bentley. I'm driving a Bentley this week. Like how crazy uh, the past champions dinner on Tuesday was just you know, remembering, you know, Dinah Shore and, and all the history of this event and, um, you know, this beautiful golf course that we're getting to play this week. So I, I feel like we're going to start some new traditions. Obviously sad we're leaving Mission Hills, but really excited to see where Chevron's going to take us in the next couple years. Well, Brittany, a number of players trying to break through for their first major this week. When you won your first major, you said your hands were shaking before you hit that hybrid. Your heart was <laughs> racing. At one point you were singing Sugarland and yeah. Kenny Chesney's songs. What do you remember? Yeah, you, you nailed it. That was exactly it. And it, nothing has changed to this day after all these years. Um, you know, still same. You know, I try to sing songs walking down the fairway. I try to, you know, take myself to hanging out with my daughters in happy times of trying to calm my heart rate down, taking some sips of water to kind of, you know, slow my heart rate down. But it's, uh, it's very similar. It's all the same. And, uh, but, I mean, that was just an incredible shot, how it took the slope and ended up, you know, five feet or so from the hole. It was a dream come true, really. I tell you, Brittany, one of your buddies, Julie Inkster, is probably the model for raising kids on the road. It was a different era. She sometimes drove a van around. What's it been like for you kind of balancing <laughs> mamahood and the job in this modern era? Yeah, it's a little bit different. You know, I obviously talked to Julie a bunch on giving me advice. I saw her on Tuesday at the past champions dinner. And, um, you know, back then they could drive to a lot more tournaments. So I felt like it was a little bit easier. Obviously still raising two kids, trying to have such a wonderful career like she had is obviously uh, not easy. But, um, you know, driving makes it a little bit easier. Uh, now, you know, we kind of go coast to coast. The LPGA is spread out. We go international a bunch. Um, so it's a little bit harder, but, you know, we're, we figure it out. You know, my uh, Emery is three and a half, so I've had all these years to kind of figure it out. My parents are great helpers, and uh, Smucker's Daycare provides daycare for us, and, and it's been fantastic to have them go there, and I know they're safe, and it's the same ladies that, you know, were out here 19 years ago when I was a rookie. So it's cool to see, you know, all the kids coming through, and now my daughter's going to daycare. Speaking of that schedule, Brittany, where it seems to jump around the globe, and it's been a little stop-start this year in particular, it's under a lot of scrutiny in terms of whether or not it allows the best players to build some kind of momentum heading into the major championship this week. Do you think it needs to be looked at in terms of giving some kind of consistency to allow players to play their best when it matters most? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the schedule has always been a tricky thing, I think, for any commissioner that has come to the LPGA. So uh, I hopefully, you know, 
at some point we'll figure out how to kind of keep it more like how the men, you know, do the Florida swing and then they kind of move on. Um, that would be great to be able to drive to more events and obviously have more events at the start of the season and not try to, you know, jam, you know, nine weeks in a row over the summer because obviously uh, everybody has to take weeks off and I feel like the same tournaments get hit every year and I feel so bad for those, those same tournaments that get hit. Um, and then obviously Hawaii last week leading up to this week. I didn't go to Hawaii just because it's really windy. It's really far. Uh, I just wanted to come here early and prepare for this major. So uh, the schedule definitely needs some tweaking, but we have a, a bunch of tournaments on the schedule, which is great. We're playing for more prize money. We're on TV more. So everything is going great. We just need to rework the schedule just a little bit, and it would, it would be great leading up to this major for sure. Well, speaking of far, you hit the ball far. One of the highlights of my golf life was playing golf with you and Morgan Pressel at Golden Ocala. Back in the day, you were out driving me by, by 50. Uh, how much does this golf course, the club at Carlton Woods, fit your game? It's great. You know, I, I still like to consider myself to be a long hitter, but obviously creeping up on, on 40 and, and two kids later, it's not going as far as it used to, unfortunately. But um, this golf course is great. It's a long hitters golf course. There's a lot of narrow holes out there. There's a lot of, there's, I feel like there's water on every hole. So you really have to drive it straight. And then more importantly, the greens, the greens are pretty grainy. Uh, they're pretty sloped as well. So you have to miss it in the right spot. And there's a lot of like false fronts and you, the ball could run off the green very easily. So it's a, definitely a game of misses this week and missing it in the right spot and not short siding yourself in those low areas. So, um, you know, you get it in the fairway, get it on the green, and hopefully you make a 30-footer here and there, and you'll be at the top of the leaderboard. Brittany, when you get to this point of your career uh, at 37, you've got kids at home, you've accomplished so much. How have the goals shifted, and what are your goals? Do you, is, do you still think you can very much contend and win major championships right now? Are you looking towards potential Solheim Cup captaincy as well? What, what are the goals you have left in this game? Ooh. I would love to win one more time, especially having my daughters out, just to show them. I mean, Emery, the three-year-old, she knows, like, Mommy plays golf when I put on my clothes. She knows Mommy's going to play golf, which is cool. But um, just to have them on 18 green holding the trophy one day uh, would really be just – yeah, I think I could retire after that. It'd be great. But um, I think it's just in your blood when you've played this wonderful game for so long. Um, you know, it seems like this, the stacks are against me. You know, two kids. You know, I've been out here a long time, getting older. Um, but it's just something that goes through your veins. And just I think I would miss competitive golf if I didn't do it. But obviously, like I said, with two kids now, we're going to play this year. Uh, you know, I have full status. We'll see how it goes and kind of evaluate at the end of the year. But definitely looking to get another win uh, before I shut it down for sure. Well, Brittany, it's been so much fun following your career through all these years. Best of luck this week. Go get them. We'll speak to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures. And afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity Advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimum supply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Chevron Championship is one day away, and one of the favorites is joining us, Jin Young Ko. She already owns a title here, and she's gunning for another one this week in Houston. Hour two, Golf Today is underway. Golf Today. It's tough to find two more disparate events in professional golf than this week. The men pair up for a rare team event at the Zurich Classic in New Orleans, while the women face the loneliest challenge of all, a major with a Chevron Championship in Houston, Texas. Welcome back into Golf Today. I'm Eamon Lynch alongside Damon Hack. Damon, we're going to talk in this hour to Jin Young Ko. She's yes. won this championship. She won two majors back in 2019. She's already been a winner this year. Do you think she's put the general misery of 2022 behind her, which looked so promising but delivered so little? I hope so. We talked to her a little bit throughout 2022 during those miserable times, in part due to the left wrist injury, which she's played through over the last she sounded year and a half. fragile in some of those Didn't conversations. Didn't she really? Yeah. I know. It was a little bit surprising. I mean, listen, she holds herself to such a high standard. She works so hard. But I, too, was struck by the lack of joy in the pursuit of greatness for her and just how hard it has been and how high she holds herself in terms of the expectation of them. I think all the greats do. Um, losing is miserable. It's just that I think in some ways they hate losing more than they love winning. You, you talk to the greats across sports, sometimes they they feel that burden. And I, I hope that the, there are some better days ahead for she's a winner, as you mentioned already, this season. But when you've won majors and you've been as accomplished as she has been, Anything less than success just has to taste like a bitter pill. And as few reps as some of the top players have actually had heading into this week, Jin Young Ko is not among those who's mm. actually lacking the reps or lacking the success. She is one of the winners on the LPGA Tour this year. Here is the list of winners in six events. Three veterans there. Jin Young Ko, Brooke Henderson and Celine Boudier. And the other three are all first-time winners. And the season's first major in the LPGA Tour gets underway tomorrow. And you can catch live first-round coverage of the Chevron Championship at 11 a.m. Eastern Time right here on Golf Channel. Now, with more on this week's first women's major of the year, we welcome in Amy Rogers from more. Thanks, Eamon. Well, to jump or not to jump, that is the question that players are weighing on whether to keep the tradition alive of the champion jumping into the water after winning the Chevron Championship. Now, it's a tradition that dates back to Amy Alcott, who was the first to make that jump back in 1988. She did it again in 1991, and then Donna Andrews was the first to carry it on in 1994. Now, while there isn't a Poppy's Pond here at the club at Carlton Woods, this, there is this pond that you see here behind me, and it borders the 18th green here. Um, now, 
this water is not like Poppy's Pond, the Poppy's Pond that we have come to know in recent years at Mission Hills uh, Country Club. This pond is all natural. Uh, now that said, I did speak with the general manager here at the club yesterday, Steve Salzman, who tells me that the area of the water closest to the 18th green has been dredged and that they've installed some pylons just beneath the surface that are holding a net that will keep any gators going into that area. Now, that said, that doesn't mean any snakes or, or other little creatures might not make their way into the jump zone. So those are all the things that players are considering and, you know, pondering whether it's worth it to continue this tradition and answer that question, would you jump? Hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. But yes, I would. I don't know if anyone's going to jump in that lake, um, but we'll see. <laughs> I think it's a great tradition we have, and I think it's something that we should carry on. Uh, I guess we'll see what comes down to it. I'm not really sure. I think there might be snakes in the water here, so <laughs> might be a little interesting. <laughs> mm, I have to think about it, but maybe. <laughs> the water is natural, so it's a little dirtier than, than Poppy's Pond that got cleaned out before we came along, but it might be cleaner than when Amy Alcott first jumped into Poppy's Pond. I don't know. I think someone would have to pressure me. You know, it's a it's it's a pond. It's not like the pool that was Poppy's Pond. Um, but if someone was like, you need to go jump in. I think if I were to win, I I would do whatever. If there's a gator in there, even like I don't know if there are gators in Texas, but I don't like sea creatures, so it depends. It kind of depends, but I might have to keep the tradition going. If I were to win on Sunday, I, I'm I'm jumping in. <laughs> Pretty funny, some of the answers from players there. You know, it would be great to see this tradition stay alive and to jump out into the pond. They did build a dock that will allow players to jump safely. I'm told that that area of the water where they'll be able to jump out to is about eight feet deep. But I don't know, guys. I am terrified of snakes and just hearing some of those creatures that Grace was mentioning. I don't know. What about you guys? Would you make the jump? I'm not jumping. Uh, you know, no. when Jeff Goldblum in uh, Jurassic Park said, nature finds a way. Isn't it David Verity said, if it doesn't have shoulders, I'm not going anywhere near it? No, I'm out. Yeah, the snakes in Texas are as big as Volkswagens. Great reporting, as always, from Amy Rogers. Let's take a look at some of the candidates to jump uh, into the Houston pond later this week. Fantastic tea times. we got Georgia Hall, Danielle Kang, Lydia Cole, world number one. She's off with Lexi and Charlie Hall, morning, 9, 21 a.m., Eastern time afternoon, you got Patty T, Jin Young Ko, Jennifer Cupcho, Inji Chun, Nellie Korda, and Minji Lee. And this is as good as it gets. And speaking of Lexi, go back to 2014. Saw the biggest win of her career. Shot that final round 68. Great duel with Michelle Wee. Two young stars. Actually started the final round tied for the lead with Michelle. But Lexi went bogey-free to win her first major title by three shots. Tell you what, she's played very well in major champs. Only has the one win, but look at all those runner-up finishes, best major championship results. Four runner-up finishes, that heartbreaking third place in 2021 out in San Francisco, losing that five-shot lead in the final round. Eamon, back in 2007, I was the golf writer for the New York Times. Lexi was 12 years old. On the drive from Florida to the Carolinas at Pine Needles, she practiced her autograph on the way up. I mean, stardom was in her future, but in some ways, stardom has been very hard for this American star. Yeah, scrutiny can be 
particularly cruel in this game, especially if you have a, a fragile part of your game, as Lexi Thompson clearly does. And looking back on that video of her in 2014, when she won, how different it all seemed. That was the same summer that Michelle Wee then went on to win the US Women's Open at uh, Pinehurst that year. And that seemed the future of American golf. Now Michelle is retired after a, an injury-plagued career. And Lexi's still very much out there, only 28 years old. She's been around for so long and such a feature of this game. And, you know, she's had a, a tremendous career by anyone's standards. But if you'd asked Lexi back then if 11 wins and one major was a sufficient return on her talent, mm. I'm not so sure as she would have agreed with you and said it was. But what we saw there in that list of her major championship results with that many second place finishes and 16 top 10s since that victory yeah. in 2014, that's a lot of scar tissue. It is. And some of it's been particularly brutal. That, that loss of the five-stroke lead at the Olympic Club in the U.S. Women's Open in 2021 and a lot more near misses. Besides, there's a fragility there that doesn't go away on Sunday in the big moments. You'd love to see her win another major championship, really close things out down the stretch, show the kind of solidity that she had in the earliest days of her career. But when it matters most, the belief doesn't quite seem to be there. And that fragility is happening in the social media era, uh, which is something she's grappled with. She's taken timeouts from social media. Sometimes she will be on social media all the time, posting workout videos and acting as a normal teenager slash 20-something. And I think that it's been hard for her. I think in some ways she's comfortable in the Solheim Cup because she has a big sister like a Christy Kerr kind of protecting her, as it were, riding shotgun with her, asking questions a little bit more of a dominant personality than Lexi Thompson is sometimes asked to be. And, and I think it's been hard for her. I think that her misses have been crushing in some ways. She's talked about in recent months needing to take extra time off to do things outside of golf. When you've been on the stage since you were 12 years of age and you were bouncing around with pigtails at pine needles, when it's good, it's great. You're like an American sweetheart. But when you're having the near misses and the close calls, that's got to be a pretty lonely place to be. Is Nellie Corda Lexi without the scar tissue? Has she, be, has she passed Lexi in that sense of being the, the face in the future of American golf? Which is a striking thing to say, given how young mm. Lexi still is at only 28 years old. But as you said, she's been out there as a public figure. It's an interesting... Since the age of 12. Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know, these are two families from, from Florida. I mean, Lexi has brothers who play professional golf. Nellie has an older sister who's a six-time winner on the LPGA and a brother in Sebi Corda who's a highly accomplished member of the ATP Tour who was fantastic, who's won uh, in Australia. I think that it's, um, it's a different package. I just feel like in some ways Nellie has come to, to this kind of place of stardom in the game with a little bit more armor. I think that armor comes from the parents, you know, having two professional tennis-playing parents, Regina and, and, and her father, Peter Corder, who and won a Grand is, Slam. Can, can Lexi find that armor at this point in her career? Once it's been pierced, can the armor be kind of soldered and reinforced? I tell you what, she's in contention so often that I do think that maybe it'll be someone else who stubs her toe 
down the stretch. Not all majors are won with a birdie birdie finish. Sometimes it's just the person who hangs on, who, who makes the, the least amount of mistakes, who makes the, the least amount of bogeys. Sadly for, for Lexi, the questions that are most often asked in the major championships are can you make that six, seven foot putt, that four foot putt to, to, to save par? Can you get up and down? And sometimes, and we saw it in San Francisco, the wedge play let her down. And surely the short putts have let her down. But maybe if she continues to play, you know, her ball striking is so good, and she's so long off the tee that I could still see a situation where someone else is the one who makes the mistake, and she's hanging around long enough to be there, the final person in the frame. It almost makes you feel as though Lexi needs to be the person who posts a number in the clubhouse mm. after a solid round and then watches what happens after that. It's, it's testament to her quality that she's in the position to feel yeah. as often as she is. But she's in that position a remarkable mm. number of times. And she's, you know, Rory McIlroy has won two majors since Lexi Thompson yeah. won hers. And we talk so often about how Rory is so far away, so far removed from that major. Well, Lexi's even farther removed. Yeah. And she's five years younger than mm. Rory McIlroy is. So there has to be a weight on her at a certain point, you just like to see it removed, and maybe this is the week. Yeah, whether she's uh, birding the last or that, you know, on the driving range waiting to find out what someone else is going to do, that trophy would still shine brightly. How about another young person? Let's talk about coming up. Nikolai Hoygaard, he's a two time winner on the DP World Tour, got special temporary membership on the PGA Tour for the rest of the season. He'll stop by ahead of this week's team start down in Nova. About some notable teams we'll see this week down in the Big Easy Cantlay Shoffley. We had Homakawa on yesterday. They were a lot of fun. You got the law firm of Horsel and Burns, the Fitzpatrick duo, C, Wu Kim, and Tom. It's going to be a lot of fun this week. For more from the Big Easy on how these teams came together, let's welcome in George Savarica. Say, George. Hey, Damon, it's always a delicate dance on how you kind of pick your partner. What's the way you go about it? Maybe a, a DM slide, or did you have a bet that led to the partnership? Or some guys, they've just known each other for years since junior golf. I caught up with a few teams earlier during the Pro-Am to see what the backstory was on how they came to be partners for this year's Zurich Classic. So it's a pretty good story. Obviously, Tom went to TCU, I went to Georgia, and we played in a little game at the end of the year um, for the national championship and uh, kind of text him of what our little side bet for the game would be. And he was like, how about TCU wins? Um, you play in the Zurich with me. We proceeded to win 65 to seven. Um, but I, I like the pairing. I, I love playing with Tom. He's obviously a, a really solid player and thought it'd be a good team and felt like we, we should team up. So if Georgia won, which happened, then what did you have to give old Harris? We never even got to that point. You know, I think it's uh, kind of like picking on your little brother or something when you know you're going to win going into that game. So we didn't even get to that. But um, I'm just glad, you know, Chris Kirk showed up to the players wearing a T-shirt that says 65 to 7 on a red T-shirt. And I'm glad we don't have to wear those in the first tee. <laughs> yeah, Harry, uh, Harry DM'd me and he's like, you know, would you want to play Zurich? And he's like, no, you know, if you say no, it's okay. Like, I'll still be your friend. But um, I mean, I've played with Harry a couple of times uh, on the PGA Tour and then obviously Walker Cup, but I just thought, you know, he's so good with everything and out here, you know, wins a pretty big factor and he obviously grew up, you know, on the other side and um, 
I just think our, our games match well together. We obviously are both Callaway players, so the golf ball is an easy thing. And, um, you know, it's fun for us, like two rookies trying to go out here and, and do something. It's, it's, it's a fun thing for us. And, you know, to represent the Corn Ferry Tour is uh, it's special. So, Well, there's about seven Canadians to choose from. I feel like we threw a tee around and it's ended up together. Uh, no, it's, it's been fun, you know, growing up in the same town, known each other for a long time. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun week. Uh, how long does the partnership go back? I don't know. Um, I mean, what, first competition maybe was World Cup 2018, yeah. I think we were talking about. Um, but, I mean, Nick and I have known each other for so long. We've lived together for two or three years while we were traveling together on the Corn Ferry Tour. So um, we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the years. And you somehow tolerated each other over all that time and still want to be partners here at the Zurich. Yeah, you know, we keep our distance out in the fairways. So, uh, no, it's been fun. Yeah, those guys have clearly known each other for years. Was talking with Charlie Hoffman. He and Nick Watney are partners. They've been partners every year at the Zurich Classic since it became a team competition back in 2017. Let's send it back to the studio. All right, George, great stuff on how these teams came to be. Well, one of the big topics in the men's game over the last couple of weeks focused on the pace of play on the PGA Tour. Patrick Cantley receiving the brunt of the criticism as of late. And today, RBC Heritage champ Matt Fitzpatrick had some choice words regarding slow play on the PGA Tour. This is what he had to say, courtesy of Sky Sports News. I think they give us way too much leeway to get around. If you're in a three ball, in my opinion, you should be around in four hours, four and a half, absolute maximum. It's a disgrace to get anywhere near that. You're talking 515, five and a half at some venues, and it's truly appalling. The problem is, though, you know this conversation has gone on for years and years and years, and no one's ever done anything. So I feel like it's almost a waste of time talking about it every time. Now, today, Patrick Cantley and Xander Shoffley were asked about Fitzpatrick's comments. Guys, uh, Matt Fitzpatrick said that uh, the pace of play on the PGA Tour is disgraceful. to call it appalling. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think that's the, the Tour's job to sort of take a, a stance there. Um, you know, they, uh, all the things that have happened uh, as of late have all have all been in, within the guidelines of, of the tour and, and what's supposed to happen. You know, no one's been penalized for slow play or anything of that nature. So we're all operating within the framework of, of what the tour gives us. And, you know, if enough people complain or if enough tour posts complain and I think it's something the tour needs to address to, to either make it faster or change the time par. But, you know, without any context, it gets tricky because uh, when you set up golf courses with 13 or 14 greens, uh, tees in, in interesting positions and, and pins in tough spots, it's just going to take longer. You know, we're not playing like the local Muni. Um, that sort of the average Joe sort of compares our, our time par to. We're playing for a couple million, a couple you know, $3.6 million, and um, if you're going to spend an extra minute to make sure you put yourself in the right spot, we're going to do it. Um, that's just the nature of our game and, and our, and our sport. Um, I mean, like I said, being on the, the pack's been interesting because the times that it's taken to play rounds has been pretty much the same for the last 10 or even longer years. And so um, trying to speed it up, um, you know, I'd be curious to know how they'd, they'd want to do that. I mean, I'd be, you know, I've played the last two tournaments and my group hasn't been warned at all. So we've been in position the entire time. Um, 
So I don't know how you would want even the groups that I've been in to play faster when our groups are in position and can't go faster because the group in front of us is right in front of us. Do you feel like you are a slow player, though? Yeah, I'm definitely slower than average, have been um, my whole career. And I definitely take my time. And when I hit my ball on a bulkhead, I'm definitely going to take my time to make sure I make the right decision and try and get the ball uh, back into the right spot. Defending champs on slow play. Patrick Kelly saying he's been slow his entire career, entire life. Sanders saying, hey, these are the rules of the PJ Tour. We're playing within the rules. Kelly saying he hasn't been put on the clock. Yeah, well, that, you know, he's also saying that if he hits his ball on a bulkhead that he's going to take his time. The problem is Patrick Cantley takes his time when he hits his ball in the middle of the green, when he hits his ball in the middle of the fairway. And what he's essentially saying there is, yes, I'm slow. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. And it's also not true when he said that he was in place the entire time because I checked where he was. When he put it out on the 13th green at the Masters on Sunday, the group in front of him was on the 14th green. So he was a full hold behind at that point. And the, the rules as they're enforced at Augusta are enforced by different people as than on the PGA Tour last week. The problem is they're not being enforced, period, when it comes to slow play. And, you know, we, we heard Xander talk about the fact where the, the course conditions factor into this. That's, that's relevant to an extent. It was relevant at Augusta when you have fast greens, when you have pins cut on slopes. But the problem is these guys are slow all the time not everyone is slow. Not everyone needed five-plus hours to play at Augusta National if they were playing at their normal pace. They're playing at that pace because someone is out there dragging the entire play field down. And if Patrick Cantley is saying, OK, well, the group in front of him is, is causing him to stay in place, that they are slow, well, then who's in front of them? Ultimately, there is a problem here. And you could argue that some guys, that some fields are too large. It's too tough to get... Uh, 156 guys around. We've seen that in a number of tournaments this year by simply the volume of players who are out there. You can't necessarily get them around in the daylight you have, but you certainly can't when guys like Patrick Cantley are sitting there and saying, yeah, I I'm slow, but I I'm not going to do anything about it, and no one suggested that we do anything about it. Do you remember the late, great John Paramore, oh, yeah. DP World Tour official? I mean, he called it slow play on a 14-year-old at the Masters, yeah. Wang Tin Long. And, and I tell you what, it's tougher. I, maybe the tour, the PJ tour, needs more of that, but more of enforcement. Tough. But wh why would you change your Patrick Cantlay? You've won in the playoffs. You've won a FedEx Cup. You're making zillions. Why would you, you know, unless someone holds you to account, why would he change one single iota of his pre-shot routine and how he goes about his business unless there is a golf cart with a rule official up there and saying, Patrick, get moving. And the, this culture on the PGA Tour was set by Slugger White, who's since retired and then moved on to the Live Golf circuit. And Slugger White, on record in a Golf Digest interview, said he would not give a stroke penalty to a player on the PGA Tour in case it ultimately cost him money and he couldn't send his kid to college. That's a kind of laughable nanny state that has existed on the PGA Tour when it comes to enforcing slow play out there. And that's what has enabled and emboldened the Patrick Cantleys oh. of the world. And he's not alone. We keep saying this. He is by no means oh, no. the only slow player out there in the PGA Tour. He's the most prominent over the last couple of weeks. But this is becoming... It becomes an issue every year 
on the PGA Tour. It's, it's cyclical. There's always some tournament. There's always some incident, whether it's a J.B. Holmes or a Kevin Na or Patrick Cantley. There's always somebody. But you're moving into the position now where we saw that video earlier when fans start running stopwatches on players for social media engagement. You're heading into a dangerous territory there. Well, maybe that's what it's going to take. Someone at the PGA Tour says, I don't like this look. I, I don't want our game to be viewed by a young generation as slow or out of touch. Major League Baseball has a pitch count or a pitch clock now, and we're seeing games finish in 2 220, 230. That, that's my youth as a baseball fan in L.A., National League, Dodger games, Giants games. They, they were two hours, two and a half. You're back on the 405 sitting in traffic. And, and instead, the game continued to get longer and longer and the, and the pitch outs and, and throwing to first base, and it was endless, three hours plus. So maybe if it's aesthetic. That's why we have the anchor ban. It was about the look in some cases. If the look is bad, maybe the tour takes the step. But we've been hearing this, I'm telling you, I got, you know, I got a short haircut, but there's some great, I mean, we've been hearing these conversations for a long time. And we're hearing it now because we haven't talked much about PJ Tour V Live. You know, now, now, and now we have something that's fresh to, to chew on. Well, the future of this game doesn't need a shot clock. It needs an electric cattle prod out there, Damon. <laughs> Speaking of the future of this game, one of the brightest young stars in European golf has earned special temporary membership of the PGA Tour. Nikolai Hoygaard is making his first start with that status of the Zurich Classic, and he joins us from New Orleans next. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. And we're back on golf today. Nikolai Hoygaard is a two-time winner on the DP World Tour, made his first start of the PGA Tour season at the Corrales Punta Cana Championship. What did he do? Finished solo second, one shot behind Matt Wallace in the top ten result. Got him into the Valero Texas Open San Antonio, where he earned special temporary membership with a tie for 28. He's accepted that temporary membership for the remainder of the season eligible for unlimited sponsor exemptions. And look at this young man's resume already. Couple of wins, nine PGA Tour starts. You see the world ranking just 22 and that runner-up finish. The arrow pointing up for Nikolai. He joins us on this Wednesday from the Zurich Classic of New Orleans. It's great to see you a few weeks back. You earned that special temporary membership on the PGA Tour. How did you celebrate? Did you, you know, have a nice cold one? Did you take a time to reflect on the accomplishment? Um, nah, not really. We, we, we had to go straight straight to, to Texas, but um, I mean, we, we obviously celebrated a little bit and uh, it was a good, it was a good uh, step in the right direction and uh, we would have loved to, to be, a, be a one shot better, but uh, it was a great result that week. Nicola, how does this status change your playing schedule then for the rest of the year? Because obviously you're going to try to be securing your status on the PGA Tour for 2024, but you also have to have, I assume, one eye on the trying to make that Ryder Cup team in Europe during the summer as well. So how do you find that balance? Yeah, we, we're trying to figure it out at the moment. Uh, it's obviously a great opportunity now uh, to play over here and... Um, we will get uh, enough starts to, to hopefully uh, secure the card for, for, for next season. Um, but, but in mind, I still want to play a few events in Europe. Um, obviously, the Ryder Cup is a big goal this, this season. So um, there's a bit of uh, uh, a schedule to, uh, to think about and, and sort out. But uh, primarily, my focus is going to be here in the States. And uh, I'm excited for it and I'm looking forward to, to play over here a little bit more. 
Well, Nikolai, a spot on the Ryder Cup team would mean extra time with Danish golf legend Thomas Bjorn, who will be a vice captain. He's been a captain. And what have you learned by following his career? I mean, I've spent a lot of time with Thomas now, and um, he's a phenomenal golfer. He's a great guy, and being around him, you learn you learn stuff, and um, it's just about doing your own business, focus on your own career, and, 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 and try to get better, and, and that's what he always keeps saying to me and, and my brother Rasmus. So uh, Thomas has been a, a big part of him and, and a very important uh, person in our career so far, and um, we, we obviously looked up to him when we were young, and, and it's it's cool now to, to be beside him and, and actually spend uh, spend some time and, and, and learn from um, Yeah, he's been a, one of the best uh, in his prime. You played about half a dozen events over here last year, Nikolai, and I, I spoke to you after you finished at Bay Hill. You missed the cut that week, and you'd missed the cut the previous week at the Honda, but you told me that experience was going to make you a better golfer. Clearly it has. How did you draw from that experience of those early starts here last year? Um, I think, uh, you, you know, you learn, you're playing courses uh, like the course at PGA National and, and Bay Hill and you learn discipline, you learn you, you don't need, you don't, you don't need to chase perfection on the course. You just need to get the ball in place and, and, and play and then you, you gradually um, try, to, try to plot yourself around and I think that's a bit been a big thing for me um, ever since Bay Hill. Uh, Bay Hill was a big week and, and I've, I thought we were, we, we actually, we did a good job, but obviously eight, on 18 we, we missed a cut, but uh, learned a lot from that experience and, and this season has been has been way different compared to, to what happened last year. Um, we brought in some, some more consistent uh, play uh, and uh, obviously um, uh, made our average golf uh, a little bit better. That's That's why we can uh, we're making cuts and, and, and obviously performing uh, somewhat decent sometimes and, and that's been a very important. So I'd say discipline uh, back at Bay Hill um, taught me a lot. Nicola, I want to go back to your childhood because if your house is anything like my house, your parents are doing everything they could to get you and your twin brother Rasmus out of the house. If golf wasn't your career, what other sports or activities might have been number one for you and Rasmus? Uh, we both uh, really enjoyed handball. Uh, I know it's not that big here in the States, but in, in Europe it's it's quite big. Um, we, we we basically played every sport there is, um, and there was back then, so it was all everything from swimming to handball, football, uh, table tennis, badminton, uh, basically everything. So um, I definitely chased uh, a dream in another sport, but not too sure which sport it would have been. Um, but there's other, other hobbies as well, outside um, golf. Um, comes from a, a pilot family so obviously that that's quite interesting I really enjoy that and uh, uh, maybe that could maybe I pursued that career as well. Nicola, I'm, I'm sure the competitiveness with Rasmus drove you through much of your childhood probably still does to this point but it can't be easy all the time to play an elite sport with your identical twin brother to be measured against each other all the time does that ever get a little bit old? I mean it's not it's not it's not easy every time um, we, we've had our fights over the years um, but our career has always been one year I've performed well the next year Ras has performed well and and since we turned professional um, Ras was definitely got a faster start than I did um, so I've, I've I found it really tough back then the first couple of years and he won uh, very fast on, on DP World Tour and, and I had nowhere to play so um, it's definitely tough but but we always draw and um, 
on the positives. We we always fight the positives, and we we, we I mean we push each other every day. And um, if he if he plays well, I know I can beat him. So if somebody is performing very well and, and in contention, um, we both know we can be there. So um, obviously that's it, it can be tough, but. I only look at the positives. Um, it's great to have a twin brother. It's it's great to have someone you can practice with every day, and and, and he's pushing me, and I'm pushing him um, to become better. And I think we both benefited uh, a lot from that, and, and definitely will benefit uh, in the future as well. Well, it's working out very nicely so far, Nikolai. Thanks for the time. Have a great week in New Orleans. Hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you.